Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of all things food, drink and travel brought to you by the Olive team. My name is Laura Rowe, I'm the editor of the magazine and your host for this episode. This time, web editor Alex celebrates World Sake Day by visiting Kampai in Peckham, London's first sake brewery. She chats to owners Lucy and Tom Wilson about how sake is made, how to drink it and the different types you can get. Plus, we give the lowdown on London Cocktail Week, taking place across the capital from the 2nd to the 8th of October. Listen up for the hottest events going on during the week, including whiskey blending, international cocktail bar collaborations and the interactive cocktail village. And finally, travel editor Rhiannon reveals her favourite places to eat and drink in the southwestern French town of Arcachon. If you love oysters, stay tuned. First up, here's Alex with Lucy and Tom. Okay, hi, it's Alex here, and I'm with Tom and Lucy Wilson, the couple behind Kampai, London's first sake brewery in Peckham. And you may or may not know that it's World Sake Day on the 1st of October, on Sunday. So I've popped down to the brewery to get the lowdown on the Japanese rice drink, how it's made, the history behind it, and why Tom and Lucy think that Londoners should get on board. So hi, guys. Hi there. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for having me. So... Tell us, why sake and why the name Kampai in particular? Ah, so why sake? Great question. Um, so Tom's had the taste of it for quite a long time, but I think we got absolutely smitten with the drink when we went to Japan itself. Oh, it's sort of, jealous. Yeah, it's tucked away in Japan or tucked away in Japanese restaurants, and we were lucky enough to you know, have first-hand tastings of it and we went to the breweries themselves and drank it fresh and realized it wasn't this well for me it wasn't this sort of harsh drink it wasn't something you shot it was light it was floral it was lovely and the bars that you had it in there were really fun and we just got like completely taken by it so when we came home Tom uh, dusted off some old sort of beer brewing kit that we just had at home for home brews. Casual, as you <laughs> and, uh, and tried to, to make sake, and it's really hard, and there was some ups and downs, but friends and family started enjoying it, and it just kind okay. of escalated to, to where we are now. Um, and in terms of the name Kanpai, well, yeah, that's what we picked up on our trip as well. So we got taught by a barman in Kyoto that that's how you say cheers. So you cheers okay. your drinks and you say Kanpai, and it means... It means cheers. It means actually um, dry your cup. It's a bit like bottoms up. Ah, um, okay. So we just said it so much there that when we tr- started putting a name to our crazy project, it just seemed the obvious choice, I think. So you say crazy project. When mm. did you open the brewery? So we moved into the brewery in Beckham in February this year. So right. okay. we'd done it at home for a few years and it got to the point where we had no space left whatsoever in our spare room and couldn't have anyone to stay. So we took that that step up to having a, you know, a commercial space. Fab. Okay. So can you give our listeners a quick lowdown of sake, like in a nutshell? Like how, how do you make it sure. and like what's it all about? Yeah, so um, sake is fundamentally made from four key ingredients. So rice, water, yeast and koji. Koji is a sort of magical mold that's also used for things like soy sauce and miso. Um, But basically, uh, 
fermenting sake is slightly different from other alcohols. So it's a multi-parallel fermentation process, which means you don't, you don't sort of start with all your sugar. You're producing sugar, which is what the koji does. It breaks down the starch. So koji contains the amylase, okay. uh, alpha amylase, glucoamylase. That breaks down the rice, the starch in the rice, releases the simple sugars, which your yeast then converts into alcohol. And okay. that happens from the very beginning all the way through to the end of the fermentation process. Um, so that, that tends to mean it's a slightly longer fermentation process. So than wine. Than, um, than wine and beer. Okay. Um, we typically ferment, so we do a yeast starter, which is typically two weeks, and then a five-week ferment. So right. you're looking from beginning to bottle, um, for us, is about two months. Okay. Um, and... Uh, how, how did it come about then, sake? Like, is it... Um, is it has it been about... Yeah, know, so... The- <laughs> I think the, the origins of, of sake have have been around for a couple of millennia, to be honest. Um, there's, there's sort of traces coming out of China a good few thousand years ago of rice wine. There's still a heritage of rice wine across places in Asia, but sake specifically, yeah, uh, I know there's records going back to sort of 300 BC, I wow. think. Wow, okay. Um, but a lot of time uh, to experiment then. Exactly, <laughs> but, I, but I think, you know, originally when it was made, um, we obviously didn't have sort of synthesized koji kin spores and all this kind of stuff uh, to, to produce the enzymes. So actually the rice was uh, kind of chewed in the mouth okay. because obviously our saliva contains very similar right. amylase enzymes. And then, um, and then basically spat out and fermented. That's, and that's been nice. Done, that's been done sort of across the world uh, <laughs> with other, other kind of grains yeah. and and uh, nuts and things over the years as well. So. Okay, so so now we've got a more, um, you know, a bit more of a hygienic way of doing it with absolutely, koji. Um, absolutely. And um, this ingredient's like crept, crept up into our pages like recently because we've got a, a really delicious one-pot koji roast chicken on our web- website. Can you just tell us a bit more about that ingredient? Because sure. I don't think a lot of people would know what that was. Yeah, so it, it's, it's pretty unique, but it's actually quite widespread. It's um, we, we all know soy sauce that's made mm-hmm. as I said before with uh, with with koji but with soybeans. Um, so the difference here is slightly different type of koji. Um, basically, koji kin is the actual spore, okay. and um, you inoculate a portion of your freshly steamed rice with that spore. And over a 48-hour period, so it has like really rapid mycelial growth. And over a 48-hour period, you create koji rice. Okay, and that is basically your the one thing, um, I guess, that, that, that makes sake pretty unique. Okay. And that's what then breaks down your rice, as I said before, releases your simple sugars. Fab. Okay, so that's what makes sake unique. But I know there's lots of different types out there, different types of sake. And I understand that the style, the style depends on like percentage of rice grain polishing, if that's a, if, yeah, is so that the, correct? Yeah, so it's sort of multifaceted, really. So the, the simplest way to sort of break, break things down is, does the sake contain distilled alcohol added okay. or not that's kind of your so it's sort still of, non-alcoholic no 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 so um, so what we produce is is in the junmai category and junmai okay. means it has it's not been cut with distilled spirit right okay so, so it's not got any added exactly and about 90% of sake produced in uh, Japan is falls under kind of table sake which has distilled spirit added right and then the other 10% is your premium but you still have a 50% of the premium is still uh, either the still spirit added or not. But your Junmai camp is not added. Okay. And Honjozo and others have it added. So Honjozo is, um, also has like polishing. Exactly. So, polishing. so 
Can you explain all, a bit about um, that? Pretty, yeah, pretty much all sake is made with um, polished rice. There are some out there that... So they literally, how do they polish rice it? And things like that. Just, so I know that yeah, sounds a bit silly. They're, they're, they're these giant sort of... They're like cylindrical milling machines. Okay, so you've not got a lady just uh, <laughs> with a little duster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the, these things are running in sort of giant factories for you know hours on end, days on okay. end. Sometimes even to get them down. I mean, I think the record uh, is about eight percent. So ninety-two percent of the rice is milled away wow, to leave okay. the just eight percent left. I think that's the world record that's currently and being so used. And so, what kind of sake is that going to create then? Very light, very floral. Um, yeah, sort of uh, super delicate characteristics. Okay, so because um, so when it's not been polished, is that the clear sake? Because I know there is also that really milky-looking sake. So um, that so that's the difference between, I guess, more regular sake and then a nigori. So nigori, um, so for something to be classed as sake, it's uh, it's all been filtered. Mm -hmm. But uh, nigori sake has uh, some of the very fine. Uh, rice sediment that's left from the ferment added back in at the very end. So you get sort of, it was settled down, you have sort of uh, a small amount of sediment left at the bottom of the bottle. You mix that up, it turns sort of milky white and then you drink it like that. Okay. That's actually sort of harking back to more of a, an older style of sake. Okay. Um, if you think going back to sort of uh, a few hundred years ago when everything was, you know, people were actually brewing their own sake at home and things like that, which you're not allowed to do in Japan anymore. Um, right. It would have been, that, I guess, slightly m less refined. Um, they wouldn't have had sort of high-grade uh, filtration and things okay. like that, so you'd have had this cloudy sake. So it's more, like, hearty, isn't it? You, well, again, you yeah. can, with, with all these categories, so um, the, this, I guess let's go back to the polishing. So um, a daiginjo is um, really highly polished, so 50% or less. A ginjo is 60% or less. And um, then the other premiums, so your jamai honjozo, uh, don't tip it, well, the jamai doesn't actually have a milling grade, so it can be okay. anything. What we produce is 70% or less wow. um, milling. And across all of these, you can have sort of general, general perception that a junmai may be more characterful and savoury and robust. Mm -hmm. And um, once you work down that spectrum and you end up in sort of daiginjo territory, that's typically more floral and fruity and light and delicate. Okay. But that's a massive generalisation. You yeah. obviously get I complete contrast. It's like wine, isn't it? It's just you can't, we can't talk about all the types exactly. of sake in and, 12 and, minutes. <laughs> and, and again, going from sort of sweet and luscious all the way through to very dry mm -hmm. you can you can sort of have those categories across each of those sections including nagori okay well 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 i'm sure we'll um but there's definitely many uh, many varieties out there that will suit everyone That's okay the good it's a plethora so um i understand you can have it hot or cold is that right does it, it affect it the flavor it, it does absolutely so um the, the sort of current fashion is to have uh, more chilled sake. Okay. Uh, out of a wine, you know, wine glass or flute or something like that. Um, that that's definitely, uh, I guess, what's, what's being consumed at the moment. Um, but traditionally, uh, sake was really drunk, hot or cold, depending on the, uh, the temperature outside. So oh, that's okay. the season. So if it was a hot, hot summer's day, a nice chilled sake, or if it's a cold winter's day, a nice sort of... Okay. Uh, warm one. Cool. But, but right. definitely there's certain varieties that lend themselves more to being heated and others. So if you're sort of heating up a very delicate sake, you might sort of lose, break that yeah. apart and lose some of those elements. Um, others that potentially have more sort of robust uh, amino acid con uh, 
content, uh, that umami factor can really sort of open up once heated. Okay. So, so I know um, your sake is a bit distinct, isn't it? Because you want to make it really full-bodied, stand up to like bold British flavours. Um, how do you do that? How do you um, create that full-bodied? Yeah, so that's exactly right. I think we sort of fell in love with very traditional light sakes because we were having them in Japan with light food with your sushi and your sashimi and it's just obviously a wonderful marriage um, and then you come home and we're eating jerk chicken and curries and sometimes these lighter ones get lost mm-hmm. so we started experimenting with ours how we could push them down and get those like more robust flavors out some of the some of which we had tried in Japan as well with some of the jamais and uh, yeah we just realized that if we did a longer ferment it dries right out and it sort of feels a bit more like a dry white wine or you know okay. a, a dry gin the kind of thing to, that we enjoy so so we pushed it that way and then we're really uh, pleased yeah great so which is your favorite sake that you have on um, your books <laughs> for me personally we did a small batch with a rice called Yamadanishki which is kind of the holy grail of uh, sake rice okay and um we actually did that one a little bit shorter because I have a bit more of a sweeter tooth and it's like okay. just very slightly sweeter and, it, and it's very delicate although I love the nigoris because we were saying you get that creamy texture mm. and it's um yeah good with dessert and just it just it just feels different it's not like anything else you've ever had and people are drawn to it because it looks like a Bailey's or something and Ooh, it's completely I love not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean I, I have always sort of fallen in the more Junmai uh Kimoto, Yamahai, so super savory, high umami kind of factor, which is which tends to be some of our junmais that we brew tend okay. to sort of go down that route. Okay, so lastly and very importantly, where can we buy your sakes? Can we get them in like shops across the country or absolutely? Yeah. So um, at the moment we're we're concentrated in London, so okay. we actually launched in Selfridges in June, so we're Fab. available in Selfridges. Right. Um, plus uh, a ton of local shops, craft beer shops to us in Peckham. Hops, Burns and Blacks, Bambooni, a number of bars. Um, you got the in restaurants, haven't you? Like the Coal Rooms, oh, Mr. Absolutely, Bao. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Coal Rooms, Mr. Bao, John the Unicorn. Um, uh, flavor, I can't say that word, can I? You swear on the podcast. Oh, B-A-S-T-A-R-A-R-D, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah them. <laughs> okay. Cool. <laughs> All right, well, thank you very much. That's very informative. Um, and yeah, if anybody wants to find out more about sake, um, we have a little um, edition in our October issue. And also you can go to canpie.london. Thank you very much, thank guys. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you. Next, Alex and I talk all things London Cocktail Week. Um, so hello, this is Laura and I am here with Alex, our lovely web editor. Hello. Hello, and we're going to talk about London Cocktail Week, aren't we? Which mm-hmm. is a big a big event in the London calendar. It is. Highly anticipated by bartenders and um, people who love cocktails. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of a proper event, isn't it? For, oh, yeah. for those in the Completely. industry, it's not just kind of... Uh, a festival for a festival's sake yeah. it's serious bartenders mixing serious drinks you're going to learn stuff you're yes. going to taste new things um, and we thought it'd be very useful for our listeners mm-hmm. if we kind of gave a little quick guide to the key events that you should be attending yes and, and you've done all the research for us I have you? done <laughs> and I've also um, I've curated a, a collection of events for olivemagazine.com so if you um, look into the, in the drink section of our website you'll see the events day by day great so because it's a city-wide um, event, yeah. there's hundreds and hundreds of events going on because everybody you know, gets in on it and wants to, which they should, yeah. because it's a, it's a great event. But 
the best place to go probably if you only have one evening and you want to try as much as possible is the Cocktail Village, which yeah. is a hub in Old Spitalfields Market in okay. East London. Um, and that is where all of the, the big brands, spirits and... Um, and all kinds of drinks are going to be. Okay. And they have lots of interactive things. A lot of them are very like secret as to what is going to happen. It's a nice there. surprise so I'm not, when you get there. I'm not, allowed, I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to say. <laughs> okay. Uh, because my brother actually works in the drinks industry. He's talking about <laughs> it last night and it sounds amazing. Okay. So, like, M- Monkey 47, the amazing gin, mm. um, have a really cool thing going on. And also... Um, uh, Havana um, Club does as well. So Exciting. I will leave that as a, a note. Tease. To, yes. We should probably um, just stay here as well, just to remind people of the date. So it's 2nd to 8th of October, yes. isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. So um, starting on Monday. Um, and on Monday, in fact, there is um, an opening party of World Class, which is a Diageo um, it's an initiative and they have lots of drinks experiences going on around the capital so they've got 10 from master classes to expertly paired dinners okay um and they're kicking everything off at oriole which is a great bar in um it's in smithfield market yeah which is in farringdon i don't know if you've been before but it's people behind nightjar Yes, yeah. and actually that's another great thing about London Cocktail Weeks. It kind of forces you to go back and exactly. track down these great bars because often when you go out drinking, you just go to where's near to you. Exactly, yeah. Or if you're in London, it's wherever you're going. You know, if you've gone shopping, you might go stay at bars in Oxford Circus, but it really does encourage you to try the amazing bars that we have in London, our world-class cocktail yeah, bars. Yeah, exactly. And also um, <laughs> because, um, you know, on a Monday night, you're not... <laughs> necessarily going to be out drinking not but, every week Alex. but it gives you a nice excuse um speaking of london's world-class bars mm. um so the world 50 best bar awards they happen that happens on a thursday and that's actually right. a private event okay however we'll be um releasing a list of the world's 50 best bars great um on thursday at you're gonna midnight, do some more hopefully. research there aren't yes, you Alex? yeah <laughs> so it's very very um uh, secret the, yeah. the list and um when you're not allowed to have it it's really embargoed so i'm not allowed to tell you um but then last year if you look on our website as well we've got a list of the top 50 bars in the whole world right. um, and four or five in the top 10 are actually in london which is amazing it's really good going and actually again it's that thing if you kind of forget how great the bars are here yeah. and you know you should really if you are into booze go and try the cocktail speak to your bartender exactly. let them guide you on something new yeah and that's why this event is is such a good event yeah and and i'm really excited about the results of the awards yeah, as well to see if we've kept up this yeah. year <laughs> so dandelion is number was number two last year and that's one of our favorites isn't it um yes and, and he's just opened up a new restaurant in yes in hoxton to. yeah which i went to called cub um which is kind of a fusion between a restaurant in brighton called silo which is really big on low waste and obviously ryan and the bartenders at, at, at dandelion um they've introduced their low waste cocktails there so it's a re- that's a really interesting experience if you're into the low waste food and low waste cocktails. Yes, definitely. Um, and speaking of which, ah, actually, that's, it has nicely <laughs> gone into this. It is on Friday though, so we're skipping a few days. Okay. On Friday, the event that I've highlighted is called Trash Tiki. Okay. And it's an anti-waste punk pop-up. We've mentioned this before yes. in our drinks pages, the measure. So again, if you're into into your booze or even non-spirits, coffee or anything, always have a read of the measure in yeah. the magazine because we have great tips like this. But yeah, Alex, tell us more. Um, so Ian Griffiths, who's actually formerly 
formerly of Dandelion. Okay. I've just been talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Kelsey Ramage okay. have been touring the globe with their tiki bar that uses only waste ingredients in its cocktails. Great. And um, so they're doing a pop-up in London. So they've been all around the globe and they're returning to London for this event. And they're actually using um, waste only from the cocktail village oh, that I spoke about before. Fantastic. Um, so they're using... They've got some great ingredients. Like they they make a cafe orgiat, which is... Um, uh, bartender's favourite ingredient they use in Mai Tais and um, they're using leftover almond croissants to make that I love this um, that sounds amazing so they said like not to buy not to buy almond croissants just go to your baker or yeah. um, like a pret or something and say if you, if you have and any stale. leftover yeah. can, I, can I have them they'll definitely give you a discount if, you, if yeah. you don't get them for free and they also make cob syrup using corn cobs and apple pulp from the juice blender because if you think of how much pulp there is yeah. from all this juicing craze that is going on, yeah. especially, um, especially well, as it coming into um, like January, so mm-hmm. you can make these in January. And they've got lots of recipes on on their website. So you're well. actually thinking ahead of when you're not going to be drinking if yes. you go to this event. Exactly. I like this. Yes. Yeah. Um, so back to the start of the week. Okay. Um, sorry. Yeah, we skipped ahead. after Monday. We've got um, so on Tuesday we've got the uh, I'm going to Three Sheets, which is a new cocktail bar, and that's gone straight into the top. 100. Wow. They've released um, the top uh, 50 to 100 right. of the, the world's best bars already. So yeah. I'm not giving away the information, <laughs> don't worry. Um, and they've gone straight into there. And that's, um, they're called Noel and Max. The, um, they have lots of cocktail bar experience under their belt. They've been at 69 Colbert Row, okay. Bar Termini, which is another of our favourites. And is. that's. Well, uh, it was before I had the five Negronis two weekends ago they oh. do an amazing Negroni flight if anyone hasn't been which you have to try yeah. but it's um, painful afterwards yeah but they're so good aren't <laughs> so they good. they're tiny but very very punchy yeah they just lead on to more dangerous things <laughs> yes. so, anyway um, and so yeah Three Sheets is a neighbourhood style bar on Kingsland Road mm-hmm. and they um, are collaborating with uh, New York's Employees Only which is one of the world's leading cocktail bars wow. um, and they'll be showcasing Woodford Reserve Alliance whiskey which okay. is a beautiful whiskey um in cocktails such as ryan dry which is apple skin infused woodford rye with bramley apple cordial bitters and soda so you can imagine like mm. lots going on I, th- I find cocktails like amazing because they're like complete dishes in one glass Completely. and i think when people think of cocktails as these like sugary fruity yeah. things with a you know to mask like, bad spirits yeah yeah that that is not what cocktails are about and that's why London Cocktail Week is so great so you really should as Laura said go and like ask the bartender Mm. about ingredients because they've got like incredible so many bars have these um syrups and bitters that they they make themselves and they have these tiny little jars and so many ingredients go into each syrup yeah never mind each ingredient and even if you don't think you could think about it however you want you know if it's gin that's your preference i'm sure there'd be a gin cocktail that they could find that you would like or whether you want to think you know whether it be vodka or whiskey or if you want to think about in terms of what kind of taste sensation you like so if you like bitter things or mm-hmm. sour things or you know salty things like there will be a cocktail that satisfies absolutely that taste requirement yeah. so yeah it's definitely worth and, and experimenting with things and yeah. going outside the box definitely yeah. we, we do have um lots of cocktail recipes on the website mm. as well so um feel free to have a play we've got lots of sections so we've got whiskey cocktails rum cocktails mm. vodka cocktails gin cocktails <laughs> and then like, everything so um, and also yeah, a range of uh, difficulties as well you know we've yes. got relatively simple cocktails 
cocktails, but if you're an officiado or get loads of spirits from the cocktail festival and then got yes. your cupboard and you want to use them, <laughs> go to our website for inspiration, yes. definitely. Um, and then moving on to Wednesday, um, they've got um, a Dead Rabbit um, takeover at the Sun Tavern in Bethnal Green. Wow. So Dead Rabbit, for those of you who don't know, is another New York bar and they actually have number one spot. Yeah. So they just missed out on the number one spot for the two years before 2014 mm. and 15. They missed out to Artesian, our London zone, but they got it last year. So yeah. we'll see if we can get it back from yeah. them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, the Sun Tavern's really great. Um, yeah. It's like a bar pub in um, in Bethnal Green. It's really fun. So yeah. that's going to be really great. great and they're um, also having a whiskey themed takeover from Slain Irish Whiskey uh, because um, the, the Dead Rabbit uh, has irish owners so okay. they're keeping fun. it irish and they're having a kelly band as well which oh, will be fun better. i think some of the olive team are going down so <laughs> do say hello if you see us um, and then on thursday um happiness for guests which is another um of the top 50 bars um, yeah. and that is brilliant that's in um hoxton on okay. hoxton square um, and they're having a late 90s house party at the Ace Hotel. Get your choker on <laughs> and basically you're Adidas, and you're Adidas out and your yeah. choker on. So they're literally, they're hiring out a suite at the Ace Hotel. Um, awesome. And it's a ticketed event, so you have to get tickets for that. And you can go um, onto the website, which is, bear with me, it is drinkup.london forward slash cocktail week. Cool. Um, and there's loads of um, information about all of the events there. Um, so, yeah, get some tickets and listen to some 90s music in the Ace Hotel, which is quite <laughs> random. Sounds good um, to me. And then finally, on Saturday and the whole weekend, there's going to be a tequila and methcal festival. Brilliant. Which Very is, trendy. Yes, yeah, mezcal. We like, we like mezcal, don't we? We do. It's, it's a really smoky um, tequila, so it's an agave spirit. Mm. And... Um, yeah, it's like it's described as tequila's smoky cousin, <laughs> which is quite cliche, but to be fair, it does what it says on the tin. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you can go and um, also have tacos from Temper, um, which is great. Um, well, a taco restaurant and they do grilled meats as well. Yeah, don't they, they specialise in kind of whole animal butchery. They've got a very dramatic downstairs where you can see all these animals on spits and fire and you know homemade flatbreads. And yeah, they have a mezcal bar, so they, they definitely know what they're doing and they mm. make these delicious tacos. So yeah, that is definitely one to try. Yes, yeah. Um, so yeah, if you want to have find any more information about the events, um, then I have, as I said, done a roundup on olivemagazine.com and there's there's so much out there so just go and have a play maybe go to the cocktail village and ask people there because yeah. all of the um all of the stands and all of the spirits um ambassadors they're all gonna have places in mind that they'll be going to yeah. loads of they'll know parties. where the party is yeah. it'll be really fun so i do yeah. recommend people go down so yeah get prepared yes. and uh enjoy thank, thank you alex And here's Rhiannon on Arcachon. Okay, so hello, this is Laura here, the editor of Olive, and I am here with Rhiannon, our travel editor. Hello. Hello. And you've been travelling. That's right, yes. <laughs> you're, you're just back from Arcachon, aren't you? That's right, yes. Um, Arcachon, for people who don't know it, is... Um, well, Arcachon itself is a little town, but it's also at the very end of the Arcachon Basin, which is a big scoop-shaped lagoon i suppose okay um on the atlantic coast of southwest france um and um Arcachon itself is a kind of pretty old seaside resort with these little 
Victorian villas that yeah. all have very jaunty paintwork and fretwork and um, have names like Eloise and <laughs> Christine. Lovely. <laughs> um, and it's got, um, I mean, it's still quite seaside-y, you know, in the summer. It's mm. quite buzzing and... Um, there's a lovely covered market, actually, fruit okay. and veg and amazing oysters. Oysters are the big thing. I'll talk more about those later. Yeah. Um, and some nice shishi hotels. But the landscape there is really um, distinctive and really very beautiful. It's got the tallest sand dune in Europe, the oh. Dune du Pilar, next, next to it, which is, this, it is really just a really high bank of sand that yeah. goes on and on. It's beautiful. Wow. Um, that's just outside town and... Behind that, then, is just and, and everywhere in that area actually, just these lovely old pine trees. Gorgeous. So it's very pretty. Yeah. What about um. the food? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, those shishi hotels at home to some pretty decent restaurants. I can imagine. Um, the first one I went to was the Philippe Stark Hotel La Corniche, which definitely has the best location in town. It's right at the very end of town, nice. overlooking that Dune du Pilar and the sea and. There is actually a little beach below it that's not private. Anyone can walk on okay. it. And that's the kind of secret way into the dune, which is a yeah. really nice way of going without all the crowds. Lovely. Um, and I was tempted because I saw this lovely hotel and I thought, oh, that would be nice for lunch. So I went there um, to its terrace. And it was, I mean, it's got the most amazing view and that's yeah. what you pay for. Really. Yeah. The food was okay. Um, very expensive. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was very snooty. Lots of areas <laughs> roped off. And if you so much as put a step across the rope to take a picture of the view, you'd have someone telling you to get back thrown into the sea (laughs) (laughs) Um, but um, they also have a younger sister hotel just down the hill back towards town called the Heitzer I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it and that has a really beautiful little patisserie inside it, which... A bit more relaxed. Very, mu- <laughs> very much more relaxed, a bit friendlier, um, with these gorgeous cakes and eclairs okay. and, you know, really gorgeously um, laid out. But I actually had breakfast there and okay. it was really nice. I had this... Uh, really perfect little brioche and a really good coffee I was really surprised in Arcachon and that whole, and that whole area it's very hard to find good coffee oh, really? it's amazing for France but they seem to all have invested in kind of horrible machine oh, coffees okay. so that was a really good place if you're desperate for a good coffee <laughs> yeah. go there because they this do it old school good. really nice hot milk this hot is coffee. why we have Rhiannon she <laughs> finds out the places we need to go to okay cool um, and what about the seafood um, yes so those oysters um, um, it's, it's really Akshon, the whole Akshon Bay is really known for oysters and they grow very well there because it has these huge tides Okay. and I read that there are 26 oyster farms around the bay but I'm wondering if that's wow. actually if there may well be more That's I, I saw so many wow. I'm I'm certain there are more than that. Yeah, you, um, um, listeners should definitely check out our Instagram and your Instagram yes. as well, Rhiannon, because you took some gorgeous photos that just seem so idyllic <laughs> of all the oysters. Um, and, um, yeah, they're, they're all over the place. And um, I also read that they produce 10,000 tonnes of them a year, which wow. sounds more like it. Apparently 60% of oysters sold in France come from that area. and But most people seem to eat them on the spot. They're not okay. necessarily well, being yeah. shipped around. Yeah. And how, how better to enjoy them than straight out, straight out the farm. Yes, and th- so there are these little fishing villages, um, oyster fishing villages, mm. that are, have these little sweet little shacks 
um, where the oyster fisher people still live and work. Mm. And a lot of them also open as t- little tasting huts and you can go and, and they're quite cheap. I mean, yeah. I think, you know, easily less than 10 euros for a big plate of oysters. Okay. And, and how do they serve um, them? You can... You can choose how you have them, but yeah. most of them it's just kind of straight up and Naked. a bit of lemon. Yeah. Lemon, yeah. Um, and you can have a glass of local wine very cheaply with it. And then sometimes they do, I think they serve them with little sausages at a certain time of year. <laughs> I love that. Um, that wasn't, obviously, it wasn't sausage and oyster season when I was there. I didn't see that. Sounds um, dreamy. <laughs> um, but also, um, they have local pate and things. So if you're not someone who likes oysters, you can kind of get that experience of sitting in this little shack looking over the water with a glass of wine. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and there's an oyster museum next door to Akshon town okay. in a place called Goujan Mestras. Um, and it's all in French, but I watched a little film and I was completely fascinated. I, I didn't realise how much went into oyster cultivation no i don't um, think even people realize they they're, they're farmed as such no, so what no, goes how, into it? <laughs> exactly how, how do they make them i had no idea um so but basically every july um the oyster farmers submerge terracotta tiles in the water so okay. the oyster larvae latch onto them wow and then when they're big enough they're brought onto land and scraped off the tiles so they can be put into these kind of pillowcase shaped nets okay that they're then placed on the racks that you see these long rows of racks going into yeah. the um well from the sand into the water and that's those are to hold these nets and then they're basically left there for two years. I think they take them out wow. of the nets and sort them into sizes and whatever, and um, any that aren't growing well, they get rid of, and then they put them in a fresh sack uh, net and put it back Amazing. in these beds. Um, so it takes about three years. Wow, I wouldn't but, have imagined that for such a small little I know. thing. <laughs> um, and it's also really back-breaking work. I mean, it's really yeah. physically demanding. Even there's a bit of mechanisation, but not yeah. a whole lot really. But also there's a real pride in that. It, they call it, they don't call it oyster farming, they call it um, oyster culturing. Oh, yeah, but <laughs> and it sounds like they're really looking is, after these, they these are. little oysters. And, um, and I also need to look it up properly, but I'm sure the film said that they only take on a certain number of people each year right. into the industry and okay. they have to train for three years. Wow. So okay. it's, a real, it's a real labour of love. Yeah, that's um, amazing. So it was, that was really f- interesting. Okay. And so most importantly, perhaps, is how did they taste? <laughs> well, I am the worst person to ask <laughs> because I can't eat oysters or every time I've tried them, I've been violently ill. So I, I was not... tempted. If I was ever going to try them yeah. again, it would be there. But I was also on this trip and I just didn't want to risk it. So yeah. I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, well, imagine... But, the other thing, a lot of these little shacks sell is um, prawns so that you can have, um, right. you know, that experience. I had some nice prawns. And, and presumably they had lots of different varieties of oysters there as well or, or the seasonal oysters that come in. So if you spoke to the, the person at the shack, they'd be able to tell you what whether oh, one was sweet or whether one absolutely. was milky or those sorts of yes. characteristics if you have a certain preference on the oysters definitely and they apparently even taste different according to where they are in the basin in the so you basin. can work your way around yes. i like that so yeah. yeah if you are a big oyster fan it's definitely worth going it's amazing. Then and yeah, yeah getting to know your oysters a bit better absolutely okay and so you also said there are kind of lots of little fishing villages around yes and that was just lovely actually you can just wander i wasn't expecting them to be so beautiful yeah. but they are I mean they actually reminded me of places in the Caribbean oh, these wow. little really pretty little 
painted all different colours, little wooden shacks. You wouldn't with, expect um, that, would you? <laughs> no. Um, I mean, I suppose that I, I did actually wonder that there are so many um, French, there were so many French colonies in the West Indies yeah. and whether actually there's a link there yeah. somehow because they're so similar yeah. and little gingerbread carvings on them Beautiful. you know um, yeah. and then these little they're total warrens but tightly packed and these little sandy pathways that you stroll among them and you just get glimpses of the see through them and at every corner there's something curious to look at and you're kind of drawn into this tangle of little huts. Makes me um, want to be on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> they're really nice. My favourite one was called um, Lab, which okay. um, was slightly harder to reach than some of the others so right. it was slightly less developed okay. but there was still um, a really nice looking restaurant in the middle yeah. where it was absolutely packed. I couldn't get the seat oh, there. Really? <laughs> um, but that would be my top tip really. Okay. Um, and what was Cap Ferret like? I, I really liked Cap Ferret, actually. Um, people mistake it for Cap Ferrat, okay. which is the glitzier place on the Côte d'Azur, uh, so okay. it's not that. But it, it is still... And people say, oh, it's very laid-back, Cap Ferret. But it's not. It's still quite, <laughs> it's still quite glam. Okay, um, nice. It's very flat, so people tend to hire a bike and pedal everywhere, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, and then they, and there's a beautiful old lighthouse, and people go and wander up there for views again across the basin to the um, Dune du Pilar yeah. and you can take little boat trips out to um, there are the, some famous huts on stilts that were also to do with the oyster production okay. and visit those um, but um, the big thing of course is the restaurants really <laughs> yes. uh, waterside restaurants um, and there's a famous place called Chez Boulon for okay. oysters there but I went to Chez Hortense okay. which is right at the end of the peninsula and it's really famous and yeah. I'd heard so much about it that I thought there's no way this is going to live up to the <laughs> yeah. hype but it was amazing it was oh, lovely good. it was good. really friendly and um, had lovely views just little wooden tables it wasn't right by the water but you just had these views of the sea um, looking out again to the sand dunes and um, I had they're known also for their mool fruit Lovely. and um, they were I, I don't think I'm over egging it so they were the best I've ever had wow they were really simple just with garlic parsley olive oil and bacon the bacon was a nice touch yeah um, and just in this huge portion that even I couldn't finish. Oh, and homemade chips to go with Great. them. Very, just simple and really lovely. So good yes. when it's done well. I went to Normandy in, uh, a couple of weeks ago as That's well, right. and they're obviously famous for their cider, cider. <laughs> and um, I had just the smallest, sweetest little mussels uh, cooked mm. in cider and bacon and nice. just really beautiful and and it had fresh apple sticks on top, like matchsticks, <laughs> which were really good. Um, sorry, I'm getting hungry. That's kind of <laughs> but I also saw pictures of ice cream as well, didn't I? That's right, yes. You can't go to the sea without no. ice cream. Um, and they've got this nice local brand called Au Sorbet d'Amour. Okay, um, sounds good. Which has branches all in that area um, and does some really lovely flavours like um, plum and almanac and sort of fruits. Um, I was asking what were the really local flavours and one was cannelé, which okay. are, was because it's really, I should have said that Arcachon is just about half an hour's drive from Bordeaux. Okay. So obviously cannelé from those little cakes from Bordeaux. Yes, yeah. um, they made an, uh, an ice cream flavour wow. from those. Um, and But the other one, and they also had things like um, 
Blood Orange, which oh, was nice. Beautiful, yeah. And, and they do seasonal ones. But the okay. one I really liked was um, Orange Flower Water, oh, which it, it's one of the, it's quite perfumey. Yeah, you know, you, aromatic. You yeah. might not like it, but yeah. if you do, you really like it. Okay. Um, and yeah, it was just delicious. And thankfully, no sign of an oyster <laughs> ice cream flavour. No, I think uh, <laughs> that was enough. Keep them simple. All right, <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like a, a proper foodie little breakaway. And exactly. um, if our listeners want to find out any more about it, there's going to be an Insta travel feature coming up soon, isn't there? That's right. Um, that is probably, we'll probably wait until next spring for that. Okay. But in the meantime, we'll put, I think probably the March issue, but Great. in the meantime, we'll put. Um, all of this online on the website brilliant so yeah you can read that at olivemagazine.com and do make sure you check out Rhiannon's Instagram and Olive Magazine's Instagram for lots of sneak peek pictures as well they are gorgeous so yes thank you very much Rhiannon (laughs) thank you for listening to today's podcast and if you like what you heard please do us a massive favour and review and rate us on iTunes it takes seconds but means that even more lovely listeners like you get to hear us happy eating until next time (laughs) 